1 Corinthians 10, uh, verses 1 through 13. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food and all ate the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our examples, to the intent that we should not lust after evil things, as they also lusted. And do not become idolaters as some of were as, excuse me, do not become idolaters as were some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Now let us, nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and in one day 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Nor complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the deliverer. Now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. And now may the Lord add a blessing to his holy word. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we, we thank you for the opportunity to hear your word. I pray, Lord, that the word would be found on good soil, that you remove all the distractions of the previous week and things we're thinking about for the upcoming week. Lord, I pray that uh, we would not have a rocky uh, soil heart or a thorny ground uh, soil heart, but we have a heart that uh, is prepared and ready to receive the word. So, Lord, we pray now that you would just pour your word into our hearts and may it not return void, back void, but that it may accomplish the purposes for which you intend for it to accomplish. Bless the, the word now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, on our ship, we have a random drug test. Uh, at least every couple of weeks, we get an email with a list of people's names on there, and they have to go to your analysis and give a urine sample. And if they test positive for drugs, then they have to get another sample. And if they test positive again, then they have to go to a thing that's called captain's mast. Captain's mast is basically um, a non-judicial uh, court proceeding. In other words, it's for minor offenses. It doesn't have to go to the court. It can be handled by the CO, by the commanding officer. As such, for example, uh, if you're habitually late, if you, are, um, uh, if you fall asleep while you're on duty, things like that, you will have to go to captain's mass. You know, each department uh, will basically file charges, and it goes to the commanding officer. And then at the captain's mass, you have a few people attend. You have the lawyers. You have, the obviously, the accused, the uh, department of the accused, and, obviously, the, the leadership. Well, the commanding officer decided to have what's called an open captain's mass because about five people tested positive for drugs. 
and that this open captives mass, that means everyone had to attend. It's about, we have about 400 uh, sailors on our ship, and so all 400 had to go to the quarter deck, and they all had to stand before all of the sailors and explain why they tested positive for drugs. In the military, if you test positive for drugs, then that's automatic um, discharge from the military. There is no recourse for that. So obviously, all five of them stood up. Most of them said, I don't know how I got in my system, or maybe it was secondhand smoke. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> they all were found guilty. And at the end of the uh, proceedings, the commander said to the sailors, to all 400 people, I use these five people as an example. Because I know there's other people out there who are doing drugs. And this is what will happen to you if you do drugs. You will also uh, be discharged from the military. So if you're doing drugs, this is going to be your fate. These people are an example. And so that's, I think, a pretty good example of what we have in our scriptures today. The Apostle Paul is, is speaking to the church of Corinth, a church that was... Uh, filled with problems and difficulties, of church that had all type of issues and, and, and all types of things that they were dealing with, from fornication to idolatry to the way they treated Apostle Paul. And so the Apostle Paul today points them backward, points them to Israel. You know, being a Christian is a wonderful thing, uh, especially in the Reformed faith we have developed the doctrine of Christian liberty. It's a blessing. Uh, in, the, in the Old Testament, there were so many different rules and regulations, but in the New Testament, those things are no longer in existence. So God gives us liberty. He gives us freedom. You know, many people think that to be a Christian is to be a killjoy. You can't have any fun. You have to frown. You, can't, you have to always um, look sad. You can't partake of certain things. But that's not the case at all. The Apostle Paul says, do all to the glory of God. That means that uh, we can enjoy the things that God has provided. I grew up in a, you know, a, uh, a home that was very, uh, uh, they were from, from the South, uh, very baptistic in their theology and in their practice. If you drink alcohol or drink wine, you, you go to hell. It's just, uh, there's nothing worse than, than drinking wine or alcohol. But in Reformed faith, the first time I hung out with some pastors, they all had drinks and pipes and cigars. And I thought, wow, I have to, this is interesting. Now I enjoy, I, I don't do cigars anymore, but, you know, I enjoy, you know, alcohol and drinking and, and, and you know, and we can enjoy these things. Why? Because of Christian liberty, because God has given them to us. You know, Reformers, many of their Stipends or many of their part of salary was uh, wine or beer. It's known that Martin Luther loved to enjoy beer. And so, but the fact of the matter is, is that as Christians, God has given us liberty and freedom. The Bible does not address everything that's in the Bible. It gives us a lot of themes, a lot of principles. But he says, do all to the glory of God. Such as, I had a boss once who, he did not, uh, he wouldn't have a TV. Didn't want it because he thought it was, he didn't want evil coming into his house. It's all bad news. It's all sin and, and, and so on. But he never looked down or had a problem with people who had TVs. Maybe you feel the same way. 
But again, to each person, uh, we have to answer to God. Some people don't have TVs. Other people have TVs in every room. So, you know, so again, it's Christian liberty. It's like Christmas, for example. When you think of Christmas, some people think Christmas is a pagan holiday. Never will celebrate Christmas. Don't want to celebrate Christmas. Other people, Christmas is like the, the Super Bowl of, of all holidays. You know, you have, you have your, uh, you got to have your eggnogs, you got to have your trees, you got to have all these things. So God gives us liberty. We're all different. We all have different views, different ways of looking at things. And we have different freedoms. Either way, it's not sin. And yet, in the light of all this liberty, Christ says, don't use your liberty for presumption. Don't use your liberty for sin. Our liberty should lead us to glorify God more, to praise God, to live holy lives, to serve him. And that's what he was talking about here when he talks about the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church was blessed to have the Apostle Paul plant this church. It was planted right in the middle of a wicked uh, city, Corinth, and yet they had a lot of problems, a lot of issues. And so Paul saw similarities between the church of Corinth and the church of, uh, of Israel in the wilderness. And so he brings them back to them. And perhaps, as uh, Elder Matt said in his prayer this morning, that we are not much different. And so Paul today tells us to look at the examples. This morning we're going to look at examples of what not to do. Tonight, in Hebrews 12, we'll look at examples of those who have faith. That's just a little plug to come back tonight. And, um, and so examples are important. We always follow examples. You know, I'm not a, a great mechanic or by any means, but I can, you know, but if I have directions or instructions, you know, you go on YouTube and how to fix your brakes, you know, you don't want to pay $800 for brakes, you go in there, and you follow the, the instructions detail by detail, and now you feel like Joe Mechanic, like, yeah, I'm pretty, I'm a man, I can I fix my brakes, you know. <laughs> so we follow examples. And even in the military, as an officer, the first thing we, they teach us is to follow examples of good commanders, but also look at bad commanders of what not to do. And so this morning, the Apostle Paul instructs Israel to look at, I mean, instructs uh, the Church of Corinth to look at Israel and to see what not to do. And so the first thing we see this morning as we look at, uh, as Paul brings us back to look at Israel, is he points them to the benefits that Israel had. He says there in verse 10 that, that they were, uh, that they had, they were fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, that the Lord was with them. You know, he had the, the, the cloud of, um, you know, he had the cloud that was always there. Fire by night, cloud by morning. God's presence and token was always there. They passed through the Red Sea. What an amazing blessing they were. Here is Pharaoh and the Egyptians coming, charging against uh, Israel. And the Lord parted the Red Sea, and they walked through the Red Sea. They saw this amazing, amazing, miraculous event. He says they were baptized into Moses. In other words, that word baptism means to be joined together, to be united. They were joined with Moses. They were under Moses. It's like we're baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, we're baptized into Christ. In Romans 6, we're in union with Christ. So Israel was in union with Moses. And he says they ate the same spiritual food. They drank the same spiritual drink. 
In other words, that was miraculous food and drink which they had. They had, um, you know, uh, Josephus says that that food was miraculously came down. You know, it says in Genesis chapter 3 that, um, uh, that the, because of the curse, we have to work hard for our food. We have to labor for our food. We have to toil for our food. And yet Israel had bread rained down upon them. And they had water that was, uh, it says, drank from that same spiritual rock that followed them. John Calvin says that this is like sacramental. In other words, that these, the bread and the water should remind them of the blessings of God, that Christ was with them, uh, that the presence of God was with them. And that rock was Christ, that Jesus was with them themselves, delivering them, helping them in the wilderness, and so on. They received much spiritual nourishment, much spiritual uh, nutrition, much spiritual blessing from Israel, from God. This is what Israel experienced. And perhaps Paul is telling the Corinth church the same thing. And even here at Sovereign Grace, it's the same thing. God has blessed you with many spiritual blessings. When I was here, there was, we were, there were in between pastors. We had all different types of pastors. God has brought Pastor Peter here. Every Sunday, you get to receive a wonderful word from God. I'm on the, the board of, uh, of trustees for Greenville Seminary. I was talking to Dr. Master back in uh, uh, May. He told me that he came here. To, and, you know, he did a conference for him, for you guys. And so you guys have been subjected to uh, great preaching and great teachings and, and great spiritual blessings. You come here every Sunday and you get the right hand of fellowship and you profess faith in Christ. And, and shortly we'll be partaking of the Lord's Supper. All these great blessings that you have as you come into the house of God. And yet, the apostle is warning us. He's telling us, be careful. Beware. Do not use all of these blessings for, to sin against God. Don't be presumptuous in your uh, conduct. Don't think because you come here every Sunday. Don't think because you are partaking of all these things that that is enough. Because... Paul points the church of Corinth. He points us back to Israel. They had the same blessing. They were the church in the wilderness. They had the gospel preached to them, just like we have the gospel preached to us. And so Paul warns the church of Corinth, and he warns us as well. So the first point was Israel's sin. The second point is, I mean, Israel's blessings. The second point is Israel's sin. Now, you know, when you're in the airplane and you hear uh, the uh, captain come on and says there's going to be some turbulence, the plane is going to shake, you have your seatbelt on, well, this part of the sermon is going to be some turbulence. So, just let you know. <laughs> so, he talks about Israel's sin. The first one he talks about is idolatry. He says there in verse 7, and do not become idolaters as some of them were. And we read Exodus 32. And we saw that Moses was up in the mount, was in Israel. And immediately, not long after, we have no idea what happened to Moses. They had just saw 
the lightnings, the thunderings. They heard the voice of God. They saw the Red Sea crossing, and immediately they left. And they told Aaron, make us a golden calf. And they start worshiping this golden calf, violating the second commandment. It's not make of you any graven image. Well, Paul reminds them of that because the church of Corinth, back in exactly in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and chapter, chapter 8 and 9, we're talking about it's okay to go to a festival that uh, is dedicated to idols. And we can go there and enjoy our Christian liberty. It's okay to do that. And the Apostle Paul says, no, it's not. It's not okay. That's idolatry. That's worshiping false gods. And so he warns them. Yes, he tells them that if you go over someone's house, don't ask if the food is, was dedicated to idols for conscience sake. But if you find out that it is, don't eat and don't partake of that. The church of Corinth was a very idolatrous uh, city. And the church of Corinth was affected by that idolatry. And so here we are. We don't worship statutes, I don't think. We don't have gold images. We don't have wood images. But we do live in a very, um, we, we do live in a world that's very idolatrous. We live in a country that's very idolatrous. You know, people tell me all the time, well, I'm not religious. I, I'm not religious. I don't believe. But we are all very religious. Whether we worship God or we worship whatever idol that it is that we love. Whether it's wealth, whether it's riches, whether it's money, it could be family, it could be kids, it could be spouses, even lawful things. John Calvin says, our hearts are full of idols. It's very easy for us to fall into idolatry. What is idolatry? Anything that we put in front of God, anything that stops us from worshiping God, anything that has our heart more than God has our heart. That, my friends, is idolatry. And so God uh, tells uh, the church of Corinth, he tells us to beware. Do not fall into idolatry. Yes, we enjoy our Christian liberty. We enjoy the things of this world. But we must realize that we must love God more than the gift. We must love God more than what he gives us. You know, the uh, lotto was just mentioned. Someone won $1.2 billion. Something like that. That's a lot of money, isn't it? And you imagine so many people like, wow, what could I do with all of that money? What could I do with a billion dollars? You know, my friend called me up, told me he's, he's not a Christian. Yeah, I had to put a couple uh, dollars down to see if I could win it. You know, it's an interesting thing about these, these lotteries. I, I read an article on it that nine out of ten people who won the lottery wish they never would have won it because of the pain and agony and, the, and, the, and how hard it is. Could you imagine if you won that amount of money, all your family members and friends, you got fifth cousins calling you up. Hey, cousin, how you doing? You know, so many people wind up broke. The, the, the mental stress, the agony, the pain of people begging them for money, always asking them for money, they wish they never would have won it. Some people commit suicide. Most of them wind up broke again. Because the things of this world do not satisfy. And as Christians, we must, 
remember that. We must realize that. Yes, we enjoy our gifts. Yes, we enjoy the things that God gives us. But if we're looking at those things for our joy, our happiness, our contentment, our satisfaction, then we will be sadly mistaken. We'll be miserable. How many times in this world have we uh, looked forward to something, anticipating maybe a vacation or maybe a good meal or something? We go and we're disappointed. It wasn't all what I thought it would be. It was okay, but it wasn't great. How many times have we said that? Oh, they built it up. I went and saw this movie. It was supposed to be so great. Eh, it was all right. Oh, I went to this restaurant. Everyone said it was going to be so wonderful. Eh, it was all right. I mean, my wife and I went to Roscoe Chicken and Waffles in L.A. We heard so much about it. So we got to try these Roscoe Chicken and Waffles. So we get there. It took like an hour to, to get our food, but we were just waiting. It must be good if it's taken an hour. Oh, man. But we ate it. We were like, eh, it was okay. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't great. Now, this is blasphemy. Look, this, look, this is, you know, I'm from the East Coast. So we went to In-N-Out. We said, we got to try In-N-Out. That's, that's Matt and I's spot, but, you know, that's our. But uh, <laughs> we tried it. We were like, you know what? It was good, but it wasn't uh, so great, you know, because the things in this world, you think about it. I can tell you some things in the East Coast that you would think, oh, it was not that great. Why? Because the things of this world don't satisfy us if, if we are putting all of our stock and all of our energy into these things. And so that's why he tells us not to be idolaters. You know, the thing is that God is, gets offended if you think about it. Here he did all these great things for us, and yet we go worship something that is an idol. Something that didn't save us, didn't deliver us, didn't redeem us. It's a piece of metal, a piece of a car, whatever it is. It, you know, it, it, it doesn't really do anything for us. God says, you're going to worship that. He talked about in Isaiah 40. He talked about worshiping trees and metals and stuff. He says, you use half the wood to warm yourself, the other half to roast your food, and then you're going to make a God out of it. He says, that's stupid. That is stupid. And so he tells us not to be idolaters. But secondly, also, he tells us not to commit sexual immorality, as some of them did. And then one day, 23,000 fell. Idolatry and sexual immorality in the Old Testament often went hand in hand. We live in a country, a culture, that is very sexualized. We live, even God's people struggle with this. You know, you don't hear much preaching on it. It's almost like we just can see that that is going to happen. There's nothing we can do about it. It's fine. Just be careful and so on. But God says no. He says the marriage bed alone is honorable. But um, he says fornicators and everyone else, he will judge. And I believe he says that a fornicator will not enter the kingdom of heaven, those who practice such things. This is what the word of God says. And not only is sexual uncleanness, but when you think of today as a chaplain dealing with young people, pornography is such a big problem. You know, we talk about opioids, the drug addiction, that's a problem indeed. Uh, we talk about our young people with uh, anxiety and obesity and all these things, but not much is talked about regarding pornography. Pornography, I have seen it firsthand dealing with sailors, dealing with Marines, dealing with military personnel, how it destroys marriages, how it wrecks people's minds and so on. This is an epidemic, a plague 
that no one is talking about. And I have seen it firsthand. In my last assignment, I had a, a young lady move from Washington, D.C. to uh, be married to a Marine. She was so excited. They had been married for a few months. She had something told her. Look at her, her uh, husband's phone, and, he, and there's all this pornography on there. She was devastated. Devastated. She was ready to leave, go back to D.C., end this, and here I am trying to counsel them and talk to them and so on. This is repeatedly going on and on. Single people, if you're single, you want to ruin your marriage before you start. You want to ruin your, your relationship with your wife. You want to put your wife through hardship and pain. This right here will do it. They say the pornography industry is bigger than football, basketball, and baseball. You think about how big they are. That's how terrible this is. This is an epidemic. And yet, God, what does God say about it? He says, if our eye offends us, pluck it out. If our hand, our arm offends us, pluck it out. He says, it's better to go to hell with one arm or one eye than to enter with two arms and two eyes. And, and, and it's just better to go to heaven with one arm or one eye than to enter into hell with two arms and two eyes. And then we have our phones. He says, if our phone, again, we talk about Christian liberty. If our phone or our television or whatever it is is causing us to sin, he says, get rid of it. And the church of Corinth was right in the middle, right in the middle of, of Corinth where uh, prostitution was rampant and all types of other sexual immorality. And Paul has to remind them and warn them to keep themselves from that. And he warns us to do the same thing. Well, the third uh, sin we see there is murmuring. He talks about it there in, um, in verse uh, uh, 9. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Nor complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. We can see the first two, but nothing got God angry than the attitude of Israel. We look at Israel. When you read the, uh, the accounts in Exodus and Numbers, sometimes you read and you find yourself saying, no, stop, don't do that. It's not going to go well for you. And we see it over and over again. What was Israel's problem? Why did they complain? Why did they murmur? In, in Exodus um, 15 and 16, after you know, Miriam, it talks about the song of Miriam. It talks about how God delivered them from the Red Sea crossing. It was great. And then two days later, a day later, oh, we should, oh, why are we here? We should, have, we should have died in Egypt. Did you bring us out here, Moses, to kill us with thirst? Where's our water? Already they were complaining. They were tempting. We were hungry. Did you bring us out here? We were eating good in Egypt. We were eating uh, garlic and melons and leeks and onions. Where are, did you bring us out here to kill us? Again, complaining of, to God and to Moses, tempting God, tempting Moses. Then about Numbers 14 and 15 when God says, go into the land of Canaan. Go enter into it. And they go, they spy it out. They sent spies and they said, oh, nope, we, there's no way. It's too fortified. We'll be destroyed. 
And there is uh, Caleb and Moses saying, God will be with us. They didn't want to hear it. No, we're, we're going to stone you, Moses. As a matter of fact, let's get a leader and let's go back to Egypt. Because right now, we don't want to be around you. We don't want to go to the promised land. They forgot. They weren't thinking that God just delivered them from a stubborn king who didn't want to. The whole nation of Egypt was destroyed because of Pharaoh's hardness. How quickly they forgot. And then what about number 16, the rebellion with Korah and Abijah? You think about it. That here, they decided they didn't want to follow Moses anymore. They said, why does God only speak through you? Why is it that you are in charge? And God says, all right, I mean, Moses says, all right, in the morning we will see. It seems like at some point someone should have said, you know, this probably won't go well for us. (laughs) Maybe we should uh, repent and go to Moses and ask for forgiveness. Nope. And then God splits the, the land, uh, destroys uh, them, and then the people of Israel looks at Moses there and says, you killed, uh, you, you killed Korah and, and the rebellion. It's your fault. And then what about Numbers 21 where they ever talk about this worthless bread? They're tired of this bread. And God sends serpents and so on to destroy them. What was Israel's problem? The problem was that they didn't have any faith. They enjoyed the blessings, but they didn't have any love for God. They didn't have any loyalty towards God. They didn't have any care for God. They didn't have any fear of God. Not once did you see that they said that, you know what, we fear God. The fear of God was not in their hearts. Sure, they loved all of the blessings, all of the great um, things that God did for them. But they were not willing to serve God. They were not willing to follow God. They did not have faith in God. They did not trust God. They thought it was okay to speak ill of God. They thought it was okay to tempt God. They constantly did this throughout the wilderness. And Paul is saying the same thing to the church of Corinth. Saying the same thing they they challenged Paul. They questioned whether he was a legitimate apostle. They questioned whether this was God's servant. There was other rival uh, prophets and stuff that they would rather follow than the apostle Paul. The same way Moses was being treated, the apostle Paul was being treated. So the apostle Paul had to go back and say, look at Israel. Look at what happened to them. Well, as Elder Matt says, we're often the same way. The same complaining spirit, the same bitter attitude. The question we have, are we like Israel? Do we enjoy his blessings? Do we enjoy the gift, but not God? Do we realize that the gifts are meant for us to serve God? To worship God, the goodness of God leads to repentance. Oftentimes we think, well, gee, I sinned and God's blessing me, so that means I can sin some more. But the Bible says the goodness of God leads to repentance. Instead, it should be, well, God, you've been so good to me. 
You have blessed me so much. How can I do nothing but serve you? Instead, it's often the opposite. Yes, we're here at Sovereign Grace and we enjoy all these great blessings. But make sure these blessings lead to us serving God, following God, and obeying God. And then the final point, and I'm done, where Paul tells the church of Corinth, we saw Israel's blessings, Israel's sin, but then thirdly, he tells us to learn from Israel. And how does he tell us to do that? Well, the first thing he says there in verse 13, or verse 12, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed, lest he falls. One of Israel's problems is that they often made promises to Moses. We'll obey the law of God. We'll follow God. No problem. And immediately we see that they fell over and over again. Here's a verse that is very interesting. Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he falls. We hear often that, you know, hear from uh, perhaps Pastor Peter and other preachers that were sinners. We say, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm kind of, I'm not perfect. I'm not, um, I got some sin, but I'm pretty good. I'm here most Sundays at church. I give to the deacon's fund. I, um, you know, every now and then I get upset. But for the most part, I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm doing okay. I'm pretty decent. Matter of fact, I can do certain things, and, and I, I, I know that um, there's a certain lines that I won't cross, and I know that, um, you know, there are other people a lot worse than me. Like my, my spouse, or my kids, or my parents. Now, they're the sinners. Now, if I sin, it's their fault. If I'm yelling, it's their fault. It's not my fault. It's my kid's fault. It's my parents' fault. But it's not my fault. But the apostle reminds us that there's in each of us this heart of sin, this cesspool of iniquity within each of us. Why? Because we're all sons of Adam. Each of us have hearts that are desperately wicked. Who can know it? Yes, we've been saved, we've been redeemed, the Holy Spirit has broken the power of sin in our lives, but there are still remnants of it there. And Paul reminds us that we have no power apart from God. That this self-confidence that we have, that I can stand, that I won't sin this way, I won't do this, I won't do that, you'll never see me doing that. Apostle Paul says, you're the one that is liable to fall. You're the one that's subject to fall. You're the one because of your overconfidence. In sports, when you uh, have a team and, and obviously you're playing a team that's much lesser, remember in high school our coach used to just really get on us that week because why? The overconfidence, because we felt like all we could do is just show up and win. We don't have to practice hard. We don't have to play hard. All we got to do is go on the field and the other team's just going to just wilt. I think that's the way we feel often about ourselves when it comes to sin. I'm better than that. There's no way I would do that. I can't believe that person fell. How could that person fall? I don't understand it. And the Bible is full of examples. You think David, a man after God's own heart, if you told him a year before, David, you are going to 
commit adultery, and you're going to murder someone. He would say, no way. I'm a man after God's own heart. And what about Peter? Jesus told Peter, Satan has asked for you by name. Peter, you're going to deny me three times. Peter says, nope, not me. (laughs) No way. I can see the others doing it, but I'm Peter. You know, I walked on water for a little bit. (laughs) And we see how quickly he fell. Warnings to us. Just like Israel, we are the same way. That if we think we stand, take heed lest we fall. We don't understand that in our hearts is this poison. We are our own worst enemies. You heard that? That person's our own worst enemy? We all are our own worst enemies. We are all willing to, we are all, if God would take his hand and restrain on us, there's nothing that we would not do. Nothing that we would not say. Just think this week. Suppose we had a film projector and I could have all your thoughts in front of everybody on this screen projector. You would just walk out like this, wouldn't you? Excuse me. You'd be ashamed. We all would. Because of our hearts. And so God tells us to realize that we are in a war. We're fighting against a crafty devil. We are fighting against our own self, our own flesh, our own hearts. We're fighting against those things. Instead, he says, do not look to ourselves. Do not have self-confidence. Be careful. If you're in a bad area, you're always being vigilant. You're always on the lookout. This is the worst area in town. You see people coming. You immediately are looking. You don't want to look too much, but you're ready just in case. You're being vigilant. And the Bible says we got to be vigilant. We got to watch. He told Jesus, watch. I mean, Jesus told Peter, watch and pray. To watch and to pray. So he tells us not to have confidence in ourselves, to be vigilant, but then he tells us who to go to. In verse 13, no temptation is overtaking you except such as is common to man, but God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. There's no verse more quoted than this. People know nothing about the Bible. God won't put more on you you can bear. We hear this all the time. And it's the truth that whatever we talk about temptations, either talking about trials and afflictions that you're going through now or temptations to sin. In other words, what, what you, whatever you're going through in your life is not uncommon. You're not the only one. But the good news is that God is there, that God is there to help you. That God is a very present help in times of trouble. That God has ordered your temptation for you. And because he ordered it for you, he knows exactly what you can deal with, what you can bear. Sometimes when we see tragic, tragic things happen, um, on Facebook I saw a uh, young man, a, a man lost his, his little kid unexpectedly. And we think, there's no way I'll be able to deal with that. There's no way I could bear up under that. Or you hear about uh, maybe someone has to give their lives for the faith. You think, there's no way 
I could do that. And it's true, you can't do it, but if God puts you in that situation, you can do it. The Bible says you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. That doesn't mean that you can lift 500 pounds over your head. That's not what it means. But it means that whatever God has called you to do, you can do it. Because he has given you the ability to do it. He will make a way of escape. That God is with you. Now many of us will never have to deal with catastrophic things like that. But it, this is the humdrum of life, isn't it? The everyday grind of life. This is where this verse really comes into place. I think of Israel at times, when they were out in the wilderness, they were just bored. It was just a grind. Okay, the cloud is hovering. We, we're pitching our tent. Okay, the clouds lifted. We're walking through wilderness, through mountains and so on. Stop, go, stop, go. Eating the same bread every single day. At times, it has got to be too much. I remember I was deployed. Wednesdays was surf and turf day. Oh, steak and shrimp. We're talking good steaks. We're not talking those little, we're talking steaks like ribeyes, you know, these steak you don't have to put steak sauce on. You know, it just like melts in your mouth. And the line would be out the door. Oh, it's surf and turf Wednesday. After a couple months, we were tired of surf and turf. What else do you have? We've eaten surf and turf so much. What else is it that we can eat? Well, it's the same thing in the lives of us. Every day it's the same issues, the same problems with the same things going on. It's a grind, isn't it? I mean, you, you think about it. You've been married for 20, 30 years. We're still having the same fights we had when we were born, when we first got married. This is the same thing. We barely tolerate each other. Same issues, same discussions. I thought my spouse would change, but they haven't changed. I thought they were going to be this way, but they're not. Or maybe it says a mother, you're doing the, dealing with the same thing, dealing with same fights, same arguments with the kids, dealing with uh, a spouse that doesn't appreciate you, or maybe it's your job. I'm just so tired of this job, doing the same thing every single day. Dealing with a boss who's not nice. Dealing with a boss who is, who, who is, is just continuing uh, to just um, be unfair to me. Dealing with people who I really don't like and they don't like me. This is often our lives for many years. And yet, God says, this is our life. And he says he has given us grace and strength to deal with it. Every day in the wilderness, they manna. Every day, God rained it down, except for Sundays where they got it for two days. But every other day, they just got it for that day. And that's what we're asking for. That's what God gives us. Grace for today. Just today. I don't know about tomorrow, but today he gives us grace. Oh, I don't feel like getting up. I don't feel like you fill in the blank. We all say, I don't feel like it. I don't feel like it. But God's got grace for us. He's able to help us. He's able to get us through this journey. He's able to do it in a way that glorifies him so that we even thrive in it. 
And so oftentimes he gives us inward grace to deal with these things. Are we struggling with some of the sins that he talked about? God's got grace for us. He's able to help us. Instead of us saying, well, I'm going to stop or, you know, I'm going to do something different. Oh, I heard Pastor Peter talked about anger. Well, tomorrow I'm not going to be, uh, the whole week I'm not going to get angry. And then Monday morning, someone cuts you off and there you go. What Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing. He is the vine and we are the branches. Jesus has what we need. We need to flee to Christ. We have a God that is willing and able to help us. The church in the wilderness were baptized into Moses. They had the law. They had the, the, the gospels preached to them through the law. The gospels preached to them through signs and so on, through the tabernacle. But we are also the New Testament church in the wilderness. But we have so much more than they do. We have the completed scriptures. We have the gospel. We have podcasts. We got videos. We can listen to sermons anytime that we want. God has blessed us with all of these things. Therefore, we're more accountable than Israel. If it was bad for Israel to fall, how much worse will it be for us to live presumptuously when Jesus died for us? The Holy Spirit lives within us, helping us, being a very present help in times of trouble. So just as my captain of the ship said, I did this so that we could be warned. God gives us these things so that we can be warned, but also that we can be encouraged, that we got help. Reach out to him. This is the will of God, our sanctification. God promises us that he will never leave us nor forsake us, and he will help us if we cry out to him. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for this reminder. Help us to look at these examples and help us, Lord, to just be careful to not live presumptuously, but help us to live daily for you, serving you, loving you, and help us to use the aid that we have, which is Jesus Christ. Bless us now in Jesus' name. Amen.